The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called uh, what, uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And, my, uh, and I also work with Chen Lin, who publishes a very, very good newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, if you are interested in Chen's letter, you need to sign up for uh, put your name on a list, and you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call my assistant in New York at 718-457-1426 to do that as well. Uh, my newsletter is available to you, and uh, I would uh, like you to uh, to give it a try sometime, and uh, uh, go to miningstocks.com to do that as well. The best place to uh, access miningstocks.com or everything that I do, including accessing this show, is uh, to go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter under the uh, handle jtaylormedia. I don't tweet as much as I should, as much as I'd like to. Whenever I have the time and I'm inspired, I, I send some messages out on Twitter. Um, and there would, there's so much to talk about. is so little time uh, to talk about it, which is what I find out almost every week on this show. Uh, it is always a challenge. Uh, we do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And we also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors for today's show are Timmons Gold, Bravada Gold, Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, uh, Sand Gold, SGX Resources, and Uranium Energy Corp. I would like to just uh, say a couple of things about some of the companies that are our sponsors. Uh, Timmons Gold uh, was selling earlier today at $2.66. The company's doing remarkably well. Record earnings last year, $0.25 cents a share. Uh, and uh, it uh, produced 94,444 ounces of gold last year. It's targeting 125 to 130,000 this year in 2013. Uh, record earnings, record cash flow, lots of exploration potential, lots of in, in uh, internal organic growth, which is really what I'm looking for for companies in this environment. Very difficult for companies like Bravada Gold, which is also a sponsor of this show. However, at its recent price of 2.3 cents, I have to tell you that I. Want went out and bought a lot more shares of Bravada because let me tell you if Bravada survives and I think the chances are pretty good it will that uh, a 10 bagger from 2.3 cents is no stretch of the imagination it has a wind mountain uh, a very a very substantial gold property and a lot of other things to uh, a lot of other very promising properties in Nevada and it has some joint venture partners that are spending money to earn in so I think the chances of Bravada Surviving are very high, and uh, when we get a turnaround in the uh, in this gold market, and I think we're coming fairly close to it, you could see huge uh, percentage gains in these kinds of companies. I'm not trying to say that Bravada Gold is not a high risk situation. It is a very high risk situation. I understand that. I realize that, but I also think that the rewards uh, at this point in time from these prices for many of these companies uh, is is very very attractive. 
uh, if you can take the risk. Now, you don't want to take the last dollar you have. You don't want to take money you have to have to live with to, to invest in these companies. But if you have some ability to speculate a bit, Things like Bravada Gold, I think, are very, very attractive. Golden Arrow Resources at 30 cents. To me, this is one of the most attractive silver plays that I've seen in quite some time. The Chinchillas Project in uh, Argentina looks extremely good. Very early exploration, and they've already outlined 110 million uh, silver equivalent ounces with lots of exploration potential. And it seems as though they've found the feeder zones to this system, which means uh, that, that it could be quite, quite substantial. It's in Argentina. Chinchillas is the property name and Golden Arrow Resources GRC selling at, at 30 cents uh, earlier today. Miranda Gold, we're going to be talking to Ken Cunningham uh, shortly. And uh, Miranda Gold is selling at 19 cents. Agneagle Eagle has just joined them as a strategic partner in uh, in Colombia, and I think um, this is a project generator company that I think looks extremely good. Sand Gold, a turnaround situation, uh, thirteen and a half cents. SGX Resources, a related company to Sand Gold, uh, come out with some very very attractive drill results in um, uh, in Timmins uh, near Timmins, Ontario. Like seventeen point six meters of eleven grams, uh, fourteen meters of twenty grams, etc. Looks really good, and Uranium Energy Corp. also doing very nicely and growing its business, its production in, uh, in Texas. Well, looking at today's show, we've got a lot of things. Well, before I get to that, let me just mention uh, Charles Nanner's outlook uh, for the S&P 500 and the, uh, the big stock markets, the NASDAQ. Interestingly enough, Charles says we need to get to 1648 on the S&P in order to, uh, to re- for him to be bullish and to uh, anticipate reaching his ultimate target of 1714 on the S&P. Well, I looked at the charts just a little bit ago, and actually we're just a hair beneath. We're at 1647.8. So if it closes above 1648, the Nanner view is that we're going to see 1714, or at least that's his target on the S&P. So there's still some time to go, some upside on the, um, on, on the market, uh, on the big market as far as Charles Nanner is concerned. Uh, with respect to gold, he still thinks that a decline to 1285 is possible. Uh, right now, gold is selling at 1367, but he says we are still uh, we're getting very, very close uh, to a cycle low. But his view is it's too risky to go long on gold just yet, and the same would hold true of silver, I believe. Uh, in the U.S. bond market, extremely bearish on the bond market longer term, but in the short term, believes uh, that you don't want to short the uh, the U.S. Treasuries at this point in time, uh, and there may be some upside short term. Trading well, Nanner has done remarkably well. He has a, a brilliant track record, and I do follow Charles Nanner very religiously. Getting to today's show, we have some very interesting people to talk to. Uh, we've titled our show "Surviving and Thriving Bernanke's Anti-Capitalist Policies." Sean Fielder is going to be with me uh, in uh, at about three thirty New York time. Uh, Sean Filer, I should say, is the correct pronunciation of his name. Um, he is going to be with me for the first time, and Christopher Martinson will return, and Eric Coffin is going to be with me in just a few minutes. Uh, with virtually all markets being disabled by trillions upon trillions of newly created dollars out of nothing, survival for the average citizen is becoming increasingly challenging. As money is being siphoned, wealth is being siphoned from those that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to those that create and control the system, the politicians and the bankers. So realizing that the Fed is in the process of picking the pockets of average folks, Sean Filer uh, has really joined a movement that is uh, seeking to legalize gold and silver as legal tender within the states. Now, Utah has done this, uh, but Sean is going to talk to us about this as a hedge fund manager uh, in New York as well. Sean will tell us what he's putting his fund's money uh, to work, and uh, he is very bullish on the gold mining shares. Uh, I think he'll, he'll tell you that as well. And Chris Martinson will be with me once again to provide a real truthful look at the housing market. Chris is also very bullish on gold and gold shares, but Chris is not so bullish on the housing market and thinks that we've got a lot of problems ahead of us uh, and that uh, what you see is not what you're getting in the, in the housing market. There's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, games that are being played in the housing market that, that make it look much better than it really is. Uh, and also, though, you know, we like to really try to apply our theories to making money. And to help us do that, we're going to have Eric Coffin, who I consider to be one of the top exploration stock pickers in the world. Eric is going to be with us as soon as we go to 
break. Also, I want to tell you that towards the end of today's show, I'm going to talk about Martin Armstrong, a remarkable character. Martin Armstrong uh, spent 12 years, I believe it was, in prison. Um, I think a very courageous individual and a brilliant stock picker, a brilliant market analyst uh, who was uh, uh, never convicted but put away anyway. I know that my friend Jeff Deist, Ron Paul's chief of staff, believes that Martin was given a real bum, uh, a real bad um, He's dealt a real, a real bad blow and an unfair outcome by the government. Uh, but in any event, Martin Armstrong is going to be a movie about Martin, uh, and uh, I'll talk to you about that later in today's show. Also, just to remind you that you can meet Martin and a host of other people at the upcoming Liberty Mastermind Symposium in Dallas, Texas. I will be there, uh, and as I say, Martin Armstrong will be a keynote speaker there. A lot of other very interesting people going to be there as well. Jeff Berwick, who's been on this show, um, uh, just a host of other people, and I'll talk to you more about that also in the second uh, half of today's, uh, I say, I'm sorry, in the last quarter of today's show from about 4.30 to 5 o'clock New York time. Well, we do have to go to break now, and as soon as we come back, we're going to be with Eric Coffin, who I think is one of the, one of the, uh, the best stock pickers in the exploration space uh, that is out there these days. So don't go away if you, if you uh, care to know. Uh, where you might best put your next dollars to work in the exploration space. You're not going to want to miss Eric Coffin, so don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me again Eric Coffin. He's the editor uh, of an excellent newsletter, the Hard Rock Analyst, or HRA Journal for short. Until the tragic and sudden death of his brother David in 2012, Eric had kept up to date uh, with more of the financial and corporate side of the companies covered uh, that were covered in the newsletter, while David handled more of the technical side of the exploration business. With the collective efforts of the two Coffin brothers, the newsletter posted some of the best results, if not the best results, of any independent newsletter out there uh, in the market. But uh, how would the letter do, given the absence of David? 
uh, who was, as I said, just uh, more of the technical guy behind the letter. And that was a question, I suppose, in the minds of many people who followed HR's, uh, HRA's uh, excellent track record. What just so happens that the sudden death of David uh, Coffin was just one of several adversities that Eric and his family had to suffer over the past couple of years. Just weeks before David's death, Eric's d- Eric and David's father passed away. And over the past few months, uh, tragically, Eric lost his wife after a, a fight against cancer. Then, if all of that was not enough, these uh, those personal losses have come at a time when we are in the worst cyclical bear market for junior resource stocks that I can remember since I started writing my own newsletter back in 1981. So, how has Eric done in the midst of these adversities? It's uh, not just my opinion, uh, but professionals in the mining industry like Bill Fisher, for example, and others who have had the highest praise for the quality of the coverage, including the technical side of the business since uh, since Eric was left alone to handle this chore. And I can tell you honestly that if there is a stock that Eric covers that is also in my own newsletter, I read what he has to say about the latest drill results with a great deal of interest. And while I know Eric would be the first to say that he misses David, not just as a brother, but for his technical expertise, I have the highest admiration not only uh, for the quality of Eric's work since David's passing, but also for his ability to stand up against enormous adversity and move forward with his life and continue to help others in the process. So I value Eric very, very much. I'm so glad you could be with me again, Eric. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for that amazing introduction, Jay. Yeah, well, it's, been, uh, it's, it hasn't been a fun couple of years, but you know what can you do? You just you got to deal with it. Well, I think that you've been a tremendous encouragement to me, Eric, and, um, and you know, sometimes when we want to bitch and complain about some small things that happen to us, we, we would all do well to, uh, uh, to look at how well you've handled it. I'm sure you've had your moments of despair and discouragement, but somehow you've managed to really battle through it, and I think you're just doing a remarkable job with your letters. So I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, now, I think that you, you know, I know that you have some real favorites. Uh, you've done extremely yeah. well with some stocks. Uh, would you care to uh, perhaps comment on a couple of your favorites uh, at, this, uh, at this time? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mention two or three companies, and I want to just, I'll preface that by saying that uh, although I'm sincerely hoping that the uh, gold price does what you and several other guys think it's going to do, I've, I've taken the view when looking at the junior sector that, you know, to me, this this basically feels like a a pre uh, a pre super cycle sort of market. It's it's to me, it's very, it feels very similar to the sort of markets you would have seen back in the eighties or nineties. And mm-hmm. a lot of people that only you know got into these sort of stocks in the last say ten or twelve years uh, would be probably surprised to find out that a lot of the time, what what turned the junior markets in the past wasn't really metal price movements, although obviously they can hurt or help overall, but it was quite often it was discovery. So mm-hmm. I basically went looking for companies that I thought had discovery potential that didn't have too much downside. Um, mm-hmm. One company I started following late last year is one called Colorado Resources. I, I picked them because I was quite impressed with management. I liked the targets they had, and I liked the fact that when I started talking about them, they were basically trading for cash. They had eight or nine million in the bank. Mm-hmm. Colorado has since made a discovery in Northwest BC on a company on a property called North Rock at the Porphyry Copper Gold discovery. They put up four holes so far. It's been I started talking about it at about fifteen twenty cents. It's been as high as a dollar seventy five, and it's trading in the mid seventies right now. Uh, they just started drilling again, uh, probably today. I suspect. They've kind of figured out, they think, what's going on in this property. Um, they tried targeting a couple of different things, but it looks like a combination of IP and MAG works best. And they've got a fairly fair-sized target to work with. They should be finishing a MAG survey on a, on a large IP anomaly that's the same size as the main target that they just generated a couple of weeks ago. If that gives them, enough, if that gives them similar results to the one they're drilling now, They've got a pretty good target scale, and they've had nice results. The, the, the average within this mag anomaly is significantly higher than the average for EC porphyry deposits, several of which are, are operating mines. And mm-hmm. uh, they, too, have lots of cash. You know, they still have about $7 bucks. I think mm-hmm. some of the pressure on the stock is people expecting a placement, which I don't think they're going to do short-term. They just don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, another company that's similar, same kind of idea, but they haven't drilled yet, is a company called Mondoro. Uh, MUN on Vancouver. Mondoro has a set of projects in Serbia 
Serbia is a country Dave and I always kind of liked it. It's got a very long mining history. It was, of course, on the wrong side of the Iron Curtain for a long time, so no one cared. They've upgraded and, and, and modernized their mining law. They're, they're quite uh, open to foreign investment. Uh, it, it's a, a fairly good place. Uh, they've got stable, you know, basically stable mining law. A lot of communities there that have a big mining history, so the locals are, are not opposed to mining, which is nice. Uh, I got onto this stock because I was following another stock called Reservoir Minerals. Reservoir mm-hmm. and, a, and Freeport McMoran made a, a very impressive copper gold discovery in what's called the, the Bohr region. Bohr is a very long-standing copper mine. Uh, Freeport and Reservoir made a uh, basically a high sulfidation discovery. They've they've reported some just really really impressive drill holes. It's gone from you know thirty cents to three bucks. Freeport spending all the money. I went looking for others in the region. The only one I found that hadn't really drilled yet was Mandoro, which basically surrounds the project where where uh, where Freeport's been drilling. Mandoro. Uh, had the other attraction of having $15 million in the bank. So basically right now it's trading for a few cents per share less than its bank account. Mm-hmm. And the, the drilling they're planning to start in a couple of weeks isn't going to chew through much of that bank account. I noticed that recently, I mean, Freeport's a big company, so obviously they don't talk sure. about that kind of stuff. Uh, but I've noticed that Freeport has actually started drilling on the opposite side of Mandoro's property from where they've been working for the last year, which I find quite interesting. I mean, apparently Freeport sees a trend that looks similar to what the Mandoro guys think it do, does. So they've got three mm-hmm. targets. They start drilling the end of the month. Um, wow. Gold Quest you mentioned. Um, of yeah. course, I mean, I've followed Gold Quest for years. I really like I really like Bill Fisher, who's the chairman, and, and Julio Escalat, the, the president. Um, they've put mines in production in the Dominican Republic. I mean, they actually they know how to do it. They're mm-hmm. successful mines. Obviously, they got a lot of traction from the Romero discovery last year. They're still drilling there. They still have fifteen million bucks. The last results they put out was from a property called the Scandalosa. It's it's basically an, an older discovery on the same property. That's only like three 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 hundred fifty thousand ounces, which doesn't sound like much, but when you look at that little deposit, it's very high grade right at the surface. It's exactly the kind of thing those guys know how to put in production and make money on. If that's what the fallback is. I don't think you're going to need it. I mean, I think I think they probably have a couple million ounces at the new discovery on the property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason, as you well know, that I, I'm fond of the Dominican Republic is a, is a company that David and I founded before Dave passed away. We were two of the founders called Precipitate Gold. Um, Pre- Precipitate um, PRG on Vancouver, they've gone in to the DR. They've staked some concessions adjacent to, to Gold Quest, and of course, it's not that accidental. I, I was kind of pushing for them to do that. They've got a new discovery on their property called Ginger Ridge. It's very early stage. It's basically just prospecting and, and soil geochemistry, but they did they did find one outcrop area in the middle of a kilometer-long gold anomaly where, where they got one and a half grams gold and 20 mm-hmm. grams of silver across I think it was almost 14 meters, and that, that's basically how much exposure there was. It's open in both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about the Dominican Republic is it's it's a fairly good uh, mining jurisdiction, but they're they're famous or maybe infamous, I should say, for being really slow to get stuff done when it comes to paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for almost a year wait, uh, Precipitate finally got um, to the next stage in the concession process, and from here on out, it's it's fairly... It's fairly well defined how they get to the end of it and, and basically get the concession granted. I mean, I don't have any fears it's not going to be granted, but mm-hmm. you know, time the truth is, yeah. I mean, they're not going to drill or something until they've got the concession. I mean, it just would be crazy to do that, but that sure. looks like it's coming fairly soon. And they picked up a nice looking project in Sonora, in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, three or four months ago. They're doing due diligence on that, and, and Sonora is a place where I'm looking fairly hard at at a lot of different things because. Sonora is one of those areas where companies have managed to put relatively low-grade oxide deposits into production and, and, and made very good money. It's got very low cash costs, very low capex for a lot of these projects. I think it's one of those areas that's going to see a resurgence in a difficult gold market. 
Yeah. Well, you certainly have given us some things to think about. I might just mention Colorado Resources. Uh, I believe the symbol is CXO, 74 cents, but not that many shares, 40 million shares about, seems uh, what yeah. I'm looking at here. Mondoro at 32 cents. MUN is a symbol, 42 million shares. So, again, a very mar- small market cap precipitate, though, for goodness sakes, is you know 14.5 cents at 20 million shares. So it's just a market cap that if they hit anything at all, these kinds of little companies can just can really give you some great returns if you happen to be in the right ones. And and what I'd like to say is that Eric has had a way of getting people into a lot of the right ones, not all of them, of course. In these days, to find anything, it's like a needle in a haystack to find a stock that goes up in this kind of a market. But Eric has managed to do that. GoldQuest uh, at uh, 49 cents is what I see today, 144 million shares. But as you say, they've already got quite a bit of gold outlined. Uh, Eric, we've got about, about two minutes left here. Um, so your, your sense is that we... Um, uh, is uh, you're thinking we're getting close, possibly to a big move in the precious metals? Um, yeah, well, I think we're gonna, <laughs> I think we're gonna see a move one way or the other. I mean, the, uh-huh. certainly the setup of the gold market right now looks extremely bullish. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the trigger might be. I mean, it, it may be Bernanke turning up the printing presses again, or ironically, it may be getting through the start of tapering, which, you know, that mm-hmm. short term would probably create some downside, but I, I think that's pretty close to just getting priced in. I mean, if, if you look at what it costs to make an ounce of this stuff, uh, people that are expecting the gold price to go back to, you know, 1000 or 800 or whatever number, it's it's just not going to do that for any length of time because the industry doesn't make the stuff that cheap. Um, okay, Eric, you know, I, have to, I have to just stop you. I just have to realize now that you are offering, making a special offer. Tell people where they can go. It's $10 for three months. For goodness sakes, you can't beat that. Tell people yeah, no, where they can go. That's about as good a deal as, as you can get. You're not going to find this on the homepage. Um, this is this is only being offered through a few places, like through Jay. Uh, the best way to get a hold of this is to uh, perhaps email uh, the marketing manager, uh, Nicola Vermeer, and that is N-V-E-R-M-I-E-R-E at HRAAdvisory.com. And she can basically send you the link. There is there is a link on on our site, but it's not a public link. You won't find it on the homepage. Very good. And they people can call in here at our number as well, and we'll we'll make sure that you uh, avail yourself to that. We do have to go to break, unfortunately. But folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back with Sean Filer. Sean uh, is a fund manager. He's got some uh, really interesting things to say about gold and uh, about legalizing gold and silver as legal tender in various states. Uh, Sean, a, as I say, with Equinox Partners LP in New York. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Sean Filer. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Sean Filer. Sean is a chairman of the board of the American Principles Project, and you can uh, follow that organization at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Sean graduated from Williams College in 1995 with a degree in political economy and was the 1994 recipient of the Bronson Memorial Scholarship. He is the president of Williams Catholic Network and a board member of the Weatherspoon Institute, Institute for American Values, and the Dominican Foundation. Sean joined Equinox Partners LP as a financial analyst in the 1990s and in 2001 was named Managing Director, a title that he still holds. Welcome, Sean, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you for having me, Jay. Really good to have you with us. I want to ask you, uh, start out by asking you about the American Principles Project. What is its purpose? What else? Uh, who, who else is associated with it besides yourself? And uh, why did you get involved with it? So it's founded by Robbie George, a professor here at Princeton University, and our president is uh, Frank Cannon. I've chaired it now for the last four years, just uh, shortly after its founding I joined. And um, the principle is very, very simple. We believe in the God-given dignity of the the human person, and we try to reflect that in in policy. And so uh, we reflect that in immigration policy, trying to humanize the way that we treat immigrants. We reflect it in education policy, um, trying to humanize the way that we treat children instead of creating them to serve some large corporation or the government. We really want to give um, parents more control over their children's education. And in monetary policy, we want money that serves the the people, not the government. And specifically, that is sound money. Um, We believe that we will not have limited government, a dynamic economy, and um, and essentially freedom in our society unless we're able to restrict the government's uh, ability to print money. Well, those uh, principles sound an awful lot like the ones I believe our founding fathers held. Uh, and so those are principles certainly that, that sit well with me. Uh, I'd like to focus a little bit on some of the things you said in a Wall Street Journal article that you wrote. Uh, uh, it was headed up, Easy Money is Punishing the Middle Class. You wrote in that article, and I quote, sound, For sound money to carry the day, Republicans will need to do more than point out the still hypothetical risks of easy money. The GOP will have to detail the harm uh, that the middle class has already suffered as a result of a policy of low but persistent levels of inflation. Now, end of quote. Now, of course, I'm with you on this view, but how do you make this point after all? After all, because most people believe that the opposite is true. We need easy money to fund government programs that supposedly help the middle class and lower classes, or at least I think that's what most people think. Isn't that the conventional wisdom? Yeah, I think people are somewhat unthinking when... Um uh, when they think about these low rates of inflation, who do they benefit? Who really needs this low rate of inflation? It's clearly not benefiting the middle class, right? The middle class is flat, uh, nominal wages, and that's true now over the last five years cumulatively, while inflation has cumulatively been 10% over that period, so they're not benefiting. Um, I think the federal government benefits from these low rates of inflation, um, especially to the extent that the money printing is necessary to generate the low rates of inflation helps the government finance itself. And then I think uh, banks and the financial industry and the perhaps the um, um, elite upper class benefits from uh, these very low rates of inflation and the uh, appreciation of financial assets to go with that. So um, I do not think it's a policy that's good for America. I don't think it's a policy that's broadly popular. Mm. Well, but it, it, I, I hope you're right about that. But my sense is that most people sort of think that easy is better than hard. Well, if you look at uh, CNN exit poll from last year's uh, election, uh, the number one issue amongst voters, as everybody knows, was the economy. So 55% of voters said that the uh, economy was the number one issue. If you drill down into that 55%, you find out 38 of that 55% said unemployment was the number one issue. 37 of that 55% said rising prices was their number one issue. And then if you look specifically into the swing states, 
Ohio, North Carolina, a number of the swing states, you had uh, rising prices actually more important in voters' minds than unemployment. So this is a very real issue, and the middle class has experienced uh, a significant amount of pain over the last uh, five years. And I think that's going to continue, and this issue is going to become more and more politically viable. We just need a Republican Party and some political leaders that are going to pick up the ball here and run with it and not just criticize the status quo, but offer an alternative. But, Sean, it seems to me that most people don't make the connection between printing money and inflation, do they? I mean, you and I do, but most common folks hear uh, an, an analysis of inflation. Oh, the, the oil prices have gone up, or, you know, there's, there's, some, uh, there's, there's some event that takes place uh, or some peculiar issue that's detached from money creation that, that creates inflation. Don't, do most people, I, it seems so, so fundamental to you and me and to the people that listen to this show perhaps, but most people don't make the connection between the creation of money and higher prices, do they? Well, what, so we're, we're, the Federal Reserve is printing a trillion dollars uh, this year. They're on page two. Um, what's the argument? Is there is there a, a belief that that's somehow free, that that's somehow costless, that we can have the government print a trillion dollars and it simply keeps our borrowing costs at the government lower and doesn't inflict any pain on, on anybody? I mean, that's just simply not the case, right? Uh, it's subtle, as you say, Jay, so that um, I think the uh, population hasn't really made the connection between the money printing and the the pain that they're experiencing in their own um, in their own uh, cost of living and their flat wages. Um, but but that's the connection. The trillion dollars doesn't come for free, and unfortunately, we're taking it out of the middle class's pocketbook. Absolutely, but how do we get that point home? Because in a democracy where we allow people to vote for leaders, unless the, unless the population makes that connection, how do we how do we rein in on this endless amount of money that's being created by Mr. Bernanke and the power of the Federal Reserve to do that? So this is the state strategy. So if you go to uh, congressmen and you say, okay, the, power, the problem is that you guys are printing a bunch of money, so you're never going to run out of money, so you're not afraid of running out of money, and therefore, even though you, Republican senator and congressman, are a limited government guy, the reality is that even when you're in power, you're not cutting government. Mm-hmm. So what I want you to do is I want you to remove uh, your ability to print money. I want to restrict uh, the power of the federal government. That's a really hard sell, is what we found, is that even if they're there ideologically, there's something almost um, unnatural about a politician giving up power. And so they're just disinclined to do it. The interesting uh, angle politically is going to the states. The states are disadvantaged by uh, the federal government's decision. They've arrogated this power of money bidding to itself. The states don't, are not beneficiaries. I think there's a lot of resentment in the states that they have to balance their budgets, that um, they're going to have trouble with the bond markets if they don't, and the federal government gets a free pass. Mm. And so the idea that the states could provide their citizens an alternative, a choice uh, to the dollar that is being debased by the federal government, I think is politically very appealing. And so you see in Utah and Texas and Louisiana, you see overwhelming support for this once it gets into the legislature, once you legitimize um, uh, the idea. And the idea is a very simple one. If the, you know, if the, if the money is good, why do, we, why do we need to force people to use it? Let's give them an alternative. Right. And if the dollar is good, they'll use that. And if, if they'd rather avail themselves of a, a strong currency, um, specifically gold and silver coin, let's let them do that. Well, this certainly would be Ron Paul's view of, uh, on a national scale, too, would be to make gold and silver compete with paper money, right? Yeah, and there is... Um, uh, his son, um, Rand Paul, along with uh, Senator DeMint, uh, who originally sponsored the legislation, obviously is now with heritage from the Senate. Uh, Senator Mike Lee, uh, Senator Ted Cruz um, have all signed on to the Sound Money Promotion Act um, in the Senate that would do exactly that, would remove the federal taxation on gold and silver coin um, and recognize gold and silver coin for what it is, money, not property, an issue that the IRS is confused, and allow Americans that choice. I think to get there politically, you have to first show enough states uh, that are interested in making gold and silver coin legal tender. I think that creates the political backdrop in which the federal government uh, can and will act. 
Well, uh, it, it just it seems to me that you're going to get, uh, that, that we are all going to get, and I say you because I'm, I'm really with you, Sean, in, in wanting to see you get done what you want to do. And, and I would suggest to listeners out here that are sympathetic, and most I think a lot of our listeners are sympathetic to the notion of honest money and gold and silver and let the market decide what money is. But, you know, my big concern is the power of the federal government right now, and it seems almost impossible for me to comprehend how Mr. Bernanke would relinquish his power and that the, the banks and the people that own Congress will allow this to, to take place. I could certainly see um, some challenges to states, in the, uh, ultimately to the Supreme Court, with respect to the issuance of legal tender laws. So uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, I can tell you that we have encountered um, significant opposition, um, both from um, simply the elite that want uh, government to control uh, many more aspects of our life than than we would have them control, um, and from the Federal Reserve and from the economists that by and large uh, support uh, the position of the Federal Reserve and elite control, as well as the uh, the big banks, the big five banks in particular. And so there is very significant opposition uh, to what we're doing. Um, but um, I think the one thing that uh, we have is we have the American people. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, when you go and you explain uh, in these um, uh, state capitals um, this alternative, um, you explain it in a way that is uh, legitimate, um, is, uh, is normal, is, uh, you're explaining the, the limitations, but the benefits of what you're trying to do, um, I think it really resonates, and the, and the politicians immediately recognize that sound money is going to resonate with their voters. And um, I think that's the big advantage we have. This is very much uh, a populist, not an elite movement. Mm-hmm. So a ground a ground up movement. Uh, ground up movement. Yeah, which is really what uh, uh, what most changes require. I think, right? I mean, most most lasting changes. Well, I must say the uh, our opponents seem to be able to use um, elite to change. Uh, culture and society in a way that is uh, mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the real opportunity uh, for sound money and for actually the full range of issues that the American Principles Project uh, is involved in is really more of a populist movement. Mm-hmm. So we are in many ways uh, working counter to not just uh, elite opinion in the aggregate, but um, there's some tension between what we're doing and elite opinion within the Republican Party. And so this is really about returning the Republican Party in many ways to to its roots, and that's bringing it back to this idea of, um, you know, uh, policies that serve the people, not the government, and this idea of uh, this principle of human dignity that we've lost, I think, mm-hmm. in so many of our policies um, that have uh, more of an elite origin. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly it seems to me that the whole issue of sound money is a moral issue. Uh, I mean, if you believe at all in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, it seems to me that that's what government and people that are involved with government are doing. They're reallocating wealth from those that create it. I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, people that are actually doing things that contribute to the well-being of society. You could add medical people to that equation and a lot of other people that do things that are meaningful. But it seems to me that what's happening, you know, when I go to Vancouver, which I frequently do because my business takes me there, uh, I notice all those yachts out in the harbor and they're not usually yachts that are owned by the mining engineers and the geologists and the people that actually find the gold or whatever else is in the ground they're owned by the investment bankers who are attached and tied into the system to such a great extent what i'm getting at is i wonder to what extent in it from a grassroots position uh, can the churches and synagogues and people that are really attached to this notion of uh, equal weights and measures or the notion that um, that thou shalt not steal is still a valid uh, commandment and that uh, uh, and that there can be an understanding of this dishonest money the fiat money we were talking about endless printing of money uh, and that we need to go back to to an honest money and asset based monetary system do you think there's some some hope of working through institutions like churches and synagogues to uh, to get this on track Oh well, well, that's one of the things that's so, you know, striking. If you go back and you read some 19th-century monetary history, is the involvement of 
the church in some of the uh, monetary debates is, was really quite significant mm-hmm. um, because it is absolutely, as you say, a moral issue. Uh, one of the uh, problems we have today is there is so much deference um, on issues of money and economics to um, the economists, to experts, to the elite, mm. uh, that there is very little appetite amongst um, uh, the religious um, or the political class uh, mm-hmm. to involve themselves too much um, into that issue. Mm-hmm. I, w- I will say that when we had our uh, conference two years ago out in Salt Lake um, after the signing of the legal tender legislation out there, uh, we did have a number of legislators you know, quote scripture and talk exactly um, as you said about the, uh, the moral and biblical um, issues involved in this. Um, I don't think um, that's going to be the way this moves forward immediately, certainly not amongst um, um, the mainline churches and the elite in the U.S. I think that would be hard. I, I yeah. think that will happen. I think that will be a necessary part of the, uh, the movement, but my sense is that's not the step we're taking right now. I think I just don't see that quite yet. Yeah. Well, it seems I can understand that, given um, the elite and the uh, essentially the, um, uh, I would say, really the debasing of sort of traditional Judeo-Christian values in this country, uh, basically the, the belief that there is no God, that they're actually, uh, you know, and, and getting rid of, of, of creationism and the whole notion of, uh, I mean, I personally believe, and I've read a book called The Science of God, I've had the author on this, on this show, that... Uh, that the creationists uh, have done themselves a lot of harm in the past by not understanding that there is scientific evidence for the creation or the Big Bang. But uh, if you... um uh, you, you know, but I think that religion, a lot of times, in the religious sector of our of our society, has probably hurt more than helped that argument. But uh, it just seems to me that the churches should be out. The churches and synagogues should be out front if they care at all about social issues, because to me, this is uh, it's, it's an unrecognized social issue. You know, they, the whole notion that government should engage in Robin Hood economics and take money from the rich and give it to the poor is something that's very easy for people to understand. It's the socialism. It's, it seems to be more attached to Christian, Judeo-Christian philosophy than, uh, than, uh, than traditional values uh, of, of sound money. But, uh, but in any event, I hear what you're saying. So there is progress being made, though, um, Sean. And, and uh, wh- what are some of the other states that might, be, that might be interested in looking at this issue? And to what extent has it made a difference yet in terms of how people really conduct their, their commercial lives in these states? Well, we had 10 states that we started this past year with. So this was uh, Arizona, uh, where it passed uh, both the Senate and Assembly and was then vetoed by uh, Governor Brewer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Kansas, Indiana, Missouri, um, South Carolina, Tennessee, and then Texas and Louisiana, where it passed. And so... um, Variety of factors in in each of the states um, uh, motivated or killed um, um, the legislation, Um, but um, I think this is now um, very viable. Uh, We have three states. I think we're likely to get more states every year for a number of years, and we've set up a site. It's called Mm. statelegaldender.com that describes exactly what progress has been made in which state and uh, for the legislation that died in various states, uh, how exactly it died. And um, we're going to be active uh, next Next, next year uh, in the legislative sessions in these various states advancing um, uh, legal tender and tax removal legislation. So, um, and then the second part of your question, Jay, was... Uh, let's see, the second part was, oh, to what extent has it made a difference in these states? That is, so you've got a law passed in, uh, in, in Salt, at Salt Lake City in Utah. Has, uh, you know, have people started actually using gold and silver as legal tender within that state? So because of the uh, IRS's position that uh, gold and silver coin is still uh, both money and property um, and their uh, desire to tax it, um, we have in Utah an interesting situation where we'll have um, some businesses set up that will um, 
use uh, the state legal tender designation in Utah and are going to seek a private letter ruling uh, from the IRS. And so that is in process uh, right now. Uh, if uh, we can get the private letter ruling from the IRS, I think that then will really uh, make uh, this functionally possible in, in Utah. Uh, and that would be a huge step forward because I think then instead of having a... Um, um, kind of a negative vision of what we're trying to restrict. We really do have a positive articulation in practice of what we're trying to uh, create. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll happen over the um, the next year. Uh, I mm-hmm. think our constitutional case is, is very strong. Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution, which prohibits states from doing various things. The way it prohibits states from printing uh, paper money is it explicitly gives states the right to coin, uh, to use gold and silver coin as legal tender. Um, and we know from McCulloch versus Maryland that the power to tax is destroy. So if the IRS is going to tax um, tender that uh, legal tender that the state has designated as such, um, it's clearly unconstitutional. I think um, I think this has um, a real possibility of uh, getting over the line and changing uh, the way people use gold and silver in Utah uh, for starters. Um, but it's going to take probably a year or two more before we actually see that on the ground. Well, uh, will you let me know if that letter is uh, is received uh, in a positive way from the IRS? Really, would be I think very very crucial, as you point out. But what happens if the IRS refuses to grant that letter? What's the next step? So there's um, there both are uh, political and legal remedies to that. I mm-hmm. think um, at that point um, you need both. Um, I think that's probably the more likely outcome. Um, I think if you try to litigate issues of um, money and sound money and states' rights with respect to using gold and silver coin as legal tender, uh, absent a political process, uh, I don't think you're going to get much, if any, of a hearing. That's certainly been the history to date. Um, I think if the legal and political processes are combined, um, I think that legitimizes it, and I think um, I think the Constitution's clear on this. Sean, you point out in an article, uh, an op-ed article that you wrote in the Wall Street Journal, you sort of provided some numbers showing how much purchasing power people have lost. You pointed out that I think from 1971 to the present, the average salary went in nominal terms from $9,000 to $50,000, but that in fact the household, the household earnings or household, uh, I guess household spending power, household, the real income that households had grew by only 12%. And then you noted that, in fact, that was to a great extent due to the second uh, wage earner, which wasn't all that common in 1971. So there really has been quite a a decline in the purchasing power of average people during this period of time, if you consider the fact that it takes two wage earners now to to, to barely keep a little above above, um, where people were in 1971, right? Uh, the, the numbers are absolutely uh, amazing. If you look um, specifically just at men to uh, compensate for the idea that women were less, uh, a smaller fraction of the workforce back in the mm-hmm. uh, 60s and early 70s. So guys with just a high school education um, and without a high school education are down uh, enormously in the aggregate over the last generation. This is over the last 40 years in terms mm-hmm. of their real wages. Um, and the average guy um, that has actually graduated from college has made very little progress over that period of time. Uh, if he's still employed, he's earning more, but uh, a declining fraction of men are employed in the economy. Mm-hmm. So it would have been back in the early 70s when we went off uh, uh, Bretton Woods, you would have had uh, 80, a little over 80% of all men aged 20 to 65 and the civilian men uh, in the labor force, and that's now declined uh, to about 67%. So you've had a huge reduction in the fraction of men um, uh, working. So if you look at their real wages in the aggregate, you actually have uh, a decline in real terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of this is due for reasons globalization, uh, technology, um, but uh, certainly Keynes' argument was that the way that you can um, politically and socially allow these kind of declines in real wages is through this 
making them more subtle. So mm-hmm. nominal wages go up, but in real terms, they're they're not going up or they're going down a little. This was his famous example in the uh, general theory um, mm-hmm. that uh, that he used to justify um, um, uh, fiat money at the time. So um, it's a subtler point, but it's certainly what we see uh, happening today in the economy. So it's an illusion of wealth because your nominal value, your nominal wages are going up, but your purchasing power is not. But do you think, Sean, given this endless numbers of trillions of dollars that have been created, I mean, you, you know, you're pointing out that even though the government's numbers are fairly low in inflation, it's still amounted to a huge erosion of purchasing power and real wages and real household in- income during this time frame. Yeah. But do you feel that that we're that some sort of hyperinflation or much higher levels of inflation are imminent, given in the huge amounts of money that's been created by Mr. Bernanke. That's the first question. Secondly, do you think there's any chance that he's going to pull some of that back and we get the so-called famous tapering um, phenomenon that people are talking about? What do you think is going to happen here? And then a third question is, uh, will will higher inflation really sort of prompt people to get more motivated to uh, to to challenge their states to uh, legalize tender laws? So, um, stick them in order. Yes, I think that uh, we are going to see higher inflation, um, and uh, I think the uh, higher inflation will create an opportunity um, to alter monetary policy more significant. But unlike most of the people in our camp that think there's nothing to be done until we have more of that moment of crisis, um, I think there's going to be a lot of bad choices as inflation arises. Specifically, Mm -hmm. I think the least bad option from the elite perspective at each moment as inflation rises will be financial repression. And so I think unless we have a real viable, vetted, popular alternative that we've built some support around as um, inflation rises, I think we're likely to get more financial repression. So uh, whether that means uh, capital controls, uh, whether that means restrictions in terms of how we can uh, use or move our money domestically, um, you know, there's a, a, a long playbook here that we've already started to see to play out in, in global markets and being normalized in some way by the IMF and their white papers on this issue. Uh, I think that's the future we have unless we have a real uh, alternative um, that has been tested in some way at the state level. As far as the tapering, the proximate issue of whether the Fed will do this or not, um, Maybe, uh, maybe they'll taper. Um, I don't think they're going to be tape, be able to taper, um, uh, much or for a long, a long period of time. And I think that we are stuck, um, in, uh, the current framework, uh, with very loose monetary policy. Uh, I think we're probably stuck with Fed balance sheet expansion at some meaningful rate. And I, I'm almost certain that we're stuck with negative real rates of interest. Um, negative real rates of interest that are uh, necessary to keep uh, the economy functioning um, with this very heavy level of debt. And um, uh, I think that it's going to be hard for the Fed to, to move back to what just 20 years ago would have been normal as a modest positive real rate of interest. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about negative real rates then, Sean. That should be very bullish for gold. Gold has not done well. Gold and silver have been in a bear market. I would, I would argue a cyclical bear market within a secular bull. Uh, at, uh, at your fund, um, that is the um, uh, Equinox Partners, uh, how, what position do you take on gold? Are you bullish on gold long term or what kind of things might you be investing in if you can... We think um, uh, gold is undervalued, silver is undervalued, and the uh, gold and silver miners are particularly undervalued. So uh, we have uh, about a half a billion dollars worth of gold and silver miners in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, we've held a very sizable position in them for uh, the last uh, well, it's now 12 years, um, and we've been adding aggressively uh, early this year to our positions as they've declined here pretty significantly. And at this point, I think it's, um, you know, it's one of the great investment opportunities to, to own these, um, to own these, uh, these juniors in particular. You have to be very careful with management. You have to be very careful with governance. Um, but I think if you can get the people right and uh, the governance right and an economic project, um, there are just some uh, 
uh, spectacular values out there in the stock market. Well, I think uh, I think that's good advice. Certainly, it's something that I agree with, and and I know that you um, you know have used a very uh, a, a consultant that I have a very high degree of confidence in, uh, and he's been a guest on the show, Brent Cook. I think Brent is uh, one of the sharpest geologists and, and analysts of mining companies out there. So I, I think uh, probably I would guess that your portfolio is probably pretty clean with some pretty good investments in there. Knowing Brent, he, he he's one of the toughest graders there is when it comes to. <laughs> Uh, the junior mining sector. So, if you've got Brent Cook's seal of approval on your portfolio, then uh, I would I would think um, I would be comfortable owning your uh, being a, uh, an investor in your portfolio. Well, thank you very much, Sean. We are out of time. I really wish you the best uh, on your efforts, and I want to do what I can from this end uh, to to help you and to let her keep our uh, our listeners abreast of what's going on with your uh, legal tender movement in the states um, for gold and silver. So please uh, keep me up to date and again um let's see that website that people can go to to keep up to date is um uh what was it that uh, state state legal tender.com state legal tender.com and more broadly speaking uh the good work that you're doing at american principles project.org not just uh, economics but you know sean i think that uh it starts with economics to a great extent and a lot of the other good things that the american principles project.org is trying to do i think uh, is dependent to a great extent, or to a certain extent at least, on having honest money. So I want to thank you very much for being with us today, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Great. Thank, thank you, Jay. Thanks for the opportunity. Privileged to talk to you. Folks, don't go away, because coming up next will be Chris Martinson, who thinks we are near the bottom in the gold markets. And Chris has some very interesting observations as well about the housing market. He thinks that uh, the market is largely rigged and not at all what it's cracked up to be by the mainstream. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Martinson. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. 